Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. Right now, though, it's time for our weekly visit with Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Kev, good morning to you. We were uh, just talking about Jimmy Carter uh, and uh, his decision to be placed into hospice as opposed to continuing to uh, receive medical treatment. Uh, He had uh, been uh, suffering from uh, cancer uh, that apparently had spread to his brain and liver and made the decision to uh, stay at home, uh, live out the remainder of his days uh, instead of in a hospital uh, near his uh, family and uh, friends. Could you explain that whole uh, process of you know what uh, what's the difference between hospital care and hospice care yeah absolutely dean and it is important you know sometimes in life when we're dealt a hand of a terminal illness what we do as physicians is we discuss what the wants are of the individual does the individual want to continue to to get care and to get treatment although it may just be very putative and, and have really no chance of working Whereas hospice care, we focus on the palliation of the individual. We want to treat their pain and their symptoms. We want to prioritize on comfort and quality of life so that that they can be in the comfort of their home, that they can still be kept comfortable with medications. It's not that we stop treating them. We treat the symptoms more than the disease at that point. But if someone had, like, uh, like President Carter, let's say he got pneumonia, we would still give him antibiotics because that's treatable. But as far as chemotherapy, he understands that his disease is terminal and he wants to now be in the comfort of his home, surrounded by his family for his final days. Yeah, not uh, not go through the uh, trauma. Trauma is too mild a word uh, for uh, chemo, radiation, some of the other treatments that cancer uh, patients endure when there is hope that they might be cured. Uh, President Carter apparently has been told that his cancer is uh, not uh, treatable. So he's not going to go through that suffering uh, and instead will be kept uh, comfortable uh, with uh, uh, medication and so forth, I presume, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, hospice, hospice can be done in the home. There are other hospice centers. It's that we get you out of the environment of the hospital itself, which, you know, is, is not... You know, I mean, we all love great hospitals that take great care of us, but it's not the most relaxing environment. It's not the most comforting environment at times. So we really want to make sure that we have the individual in a place where they can be comfortable, where if they want to have 20, 20 family members present, they can do that, where if they want to have a chocolate milkshake and, you know, a, a Italian beef, they can do that. So things that we don't do in the hospital particularly well, um, they can do in a hospice setting, whether it be at home with a hospice nurse or whether it be in a hospice center where they focus, again, on the comfort of these individuals in their final days. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the people who work in hospice settings, I mean, you know, I've, I, I've said that, uh, you know, doctors and, and nurses are angels walking amongst us on earth, but the people who work in the hospice uh, settings are truly angels because they, um, they they know what they're dealing with and they work to make uh, a person's final days as uh, comfortable and as pleasant as uh, possible. Uh, God bless them in every single way that you can think of is all I can say. 
Absolutely, Dean. And not only do they make the patient comfortable, they make the family comfortable with the decisions. They inform the family of what they're doing to make sure that the individual is comfortable. So they essentially have two patients, the patient themselves and the family and friends. And I'll tell you, you hit it right on the head. They are angels because they are dealing with people who pass away every single day. We're in the hospital. We get the the joy of someone coming in sick and we're sending them home healthy. We get the joy of someone coming in pregnant. We send them home with a baby. You know, in hospice, it's, okay, let's have a celebration of this individual's life while you can keep him comfortable and keep him in a very uh, uh, desires that he wanted at the end of his or her life. It's got to be one of the most difficult decisions that a person or a person's family uh, would have to make, right, to, to make that decision of uh, uh, going into hospice? Oh, absolutely. You know, and a lot of times there's the guilt feeling of, oh, I, we're not doing everything we possibly can. But then there's also times with a very good, whether it be a surgeon or an oncologist or just a, uh, I shouldn't say just, but an internal medicine doctor who's cared for these people to make them understand the reality of what is going to happen. And certainly sometimes we can extend a person's life, let's say, three, four months more by doing some more chemotherapy. But during that time, are they going to be uncomfortable? Are they going to be nauseated? Are they going to have, you know, bad things happen to them? Versus knowing the inevitable, let's make sure that my final days are comfort-driven and really focused about how I want to end my life with my family and friends present in a setting other than the hospital. Yeah, quality of life for those final days, uh, really. Uh, Kev, uh, you know, counseled me greatly with my brother and my mom, who are now both passed away, on, you know, the decisions that, uh, end-of-life decisions that had to be made. And, you know, do I want to try to extend someone, you know, one of their lives by a month or so by, you know, putting a stomach pump in or, you know, a feeding feeding tubes and, you know, things like that, which are always unpleasant and can cause, uh, you know, problems on their own. So I think it's a very courageous decision. I think it's, and, and it's, it, it just seems very, very peaceful that Jimmy Carter and his family came to this decision that uh, he will live out the rest of his days, however many there are, uh, in, in the most peaceful, uh, you know, pleasant, love-filled surroundings that there could possibly be. Indeed, we have to understand, there are doctors who are trained in palliative medicine. It is a residency that you do. You are a specialist, and we're very fortunate in Northwestern to have a great team of palliative doctors that sit and discuss everything with the patient, and they do this with, you know, that's their practice. So, Certainly, um, we have doctors, oncologists, and, and other doctors who are very good at end-of-life decisions, but we also have, we're very fortunate to have palliative medicine physicians who will sit and discuss this and, and really make it understandable for both the patient and the family. And uh, we can't thank them enough for what they do, yeah. just like you said with the nurses and hospitals. Angels, absolute angels. When you are you know, suddenly confronted with having to make decisions about end of life, resuscitate, do not resuscitate. Uh, you know, it's, it's overwhelming for the, the, you know, people who are having to make these decisions. And hopefully you've, you know, discussed all that way before you get to that point. Uh, so, you know, decisions uh, can be made based on what the person actually wants 
uh, you know, the, the it, it's overwhelming for uh, the family, for the patient, if you know, if they are conscious enough to understand uh, what's what's going on. So, having these palliative doctors, having uh, these nurses, the uh, uh, the hospice uh, care team uh, helping you through all of this is uh, super important. Uh, you know, we, we're you know sending all of our prayers to to Jimmy Carter. Uh, for uh, a peaceful uh, exit but uh, i also bring it up today just you know people need to have these talks around their own families don't they of uh you know the the kinds of decisions that may may have to be made at one time or another 100 percent. i don't think you can stress that point high enough because as you get closer to the end of life Decisions are going to be made by somebody, either by you if you're able to, or by a power of attorney. So certainly you will want to know your wishes to be made. So it's a good discussion to have with family. It's a good discussion to have with your physician to say, you know what, I want to be comfortable at the end. I don't want to have a tube in my throat and put on a breathing machine to just extend my life. You know, all those tough discussions are much easier done when the family is healthy and you can discuss an open, honest dialogue of what your wishes and desires are than at the emotional time when you're in the hospital and at the yeah. end and we're making decisions uh, in real time. Yeah, when you're dealing with grief and you know, you're, you're dealing with a million other things. If it's on, uh, on paper because you discussed it three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, you know, the, you know exactly what course the person uh, wanted to uh, to take. I, I talked to probably three or four people this week. I don't know. It came up in conversation somehow that people don't have wills. They don't have uh, power of attorney. They don't have you know uh, living wills. They they, they don't they, they just don't want to deal with that. I get it. It's not a fun conversation to have, but it's it's better to have it ahead of time than to be dealing with it at the last minute. Absolutely. And people have to understand, you can change your mind. You can say, you know what, I, this is what it, in this day and right now, this is what I'm thinking. Five years from now, something may have changed. You say, you know what, this is how I'm thinking. So you can change it. It is a living document that can be changed. But you're absolutely right. You know, it's, and it makes it so much easier for the individuals who are going to be making those decisions when you can't that this is what your wishes were, that we're not going to harm you by doing something because you didn't want it done, but we didn't know that you didn't want it done. And it takes away that guilt portion of it as well for those surviving members. We're going to get to questions for Dr. Kevin Most in a second. Uh, One that uh, was texted in from the 407. In terms of elderly care, can you explain the difference between memory care and assisted living? Correct. So, okay. So assisted living can be anybody who has any medical condition whatsoever. In other words, they can just be older and need to have some assistance, be it with a nurse or a patient care tech, but they're living in an environment where they need something more than what they can do. That's assisted their living. In memory care, they're focusing on, again, those Alzheimer's patients and those dementia patients. They're going to make it the environment much more safer. They're going to really focus on what can we do for this individual based on many of them being in one area. So with uh, assisted living, there's some assisted living where you drive a car, you can still go out, you can do a whole bunch of things, but you have the capabilities of having some health care in the area that you're living in. 
where the memory care, it's a much more safer environment for those individuals who have lost some of their cognitive functions um, and certainly are more concerned about harming themselves if they were not in an environment where they where they knew where they they were protected. Yeah, hope that helps. 312-981-7200 to call or text your questions for Dr. Kevin Most next with Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer Central DuPage Hospital. Anything in the way of COVID we should be aware of this week, Kev? No, actually COVID is uh keep our fingers crossed is is really stabilizing and really no big changes. We're starting to see a couple little uh, sub-variants popping up, but not anything um, pressing. And I think that the date of May 10th is certainly going to continue to go in place. Um, and I think it's really going to be what are we going to do post that coming out as far as vaccines and medications that is going to be the most important thing. But we're just kind of keeping our fingers crossed. Maybe it's the weather is nice and we're not gathering indoors as much, but uh, no Super Bowl bump that we've seen yet. All right, good. Let's keep it that way. The uh, 269 area code texts, should we allow an unvaccinated visiting relative to stay in a household full of vaccinated people? Well, we have to remember that the unvaccinated person is the person who is at risk. So if they are asymptomatic, you know, certainly the people who are fully vaccinated and if fully vaccinated and boosted are very well protected. That individual is unvaccinated is the one that's at risk. So could he carry the disease and could he carry COVID or influenza into the house? Certainly. Could you ask for a negative test prior to coming in? That is very commonplace right now. Tests are extremely accessible. And I think that would set everybody in the family at ease, knowing that the individual who is unvaccinated tested negative coming into the home lots of uh text regarding power of attorney uh last wishes uh, hospice care etc uh one from the 773 area code said my primary care physician had me give him a copy of my medical power of attorney and living will before he would treat me wow that's that's a, a, an interesting uh, way of doing it i guess right That that is interesting, and um, it's good that you do give a copy because nothing worse than someone showing up in the emergency room in the hospital and not knowing what that is. So good that that you give a copy. Kind of unusual, it says, I want to have a copy before I do that. Or else, yeah, or else get get out. Uh, For for individuals that want to find this uh, very simple document, it's called a POLST, P-O-L-S-T form, Practitioner Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment. You can get it on the IDPH website. It's very easy. You can print it up and fill it out easily by yourself. Yeah, another text uh, says, can we go to a hospital office to get medical power of attorney papers? I, I think I seem to remember that, uh, where where they bring in papers saying, if you don't have power of attorney, we'll get you the blank forms and you can fill them out if you want to. Absolutely. We're getting them online. The Pulse form is one of those that says, this is what I want. No CPR, CPR. I'll take this port of treatment. I won't take that. So certainly those are all available. Your your, uh, primary care physician should be able to grab those for you as well in real time and go over them with you and explain what each of the boxes that you may check actually means. Yeah, I I remember when my mother was in her final days, the uh, social workers at the hospital were terrific and uh, you know, helping out with, uh, you know, things like that, which we had already done ahead of time. But 
uh, yeah, it can definitely be done in the hospital setting. Michael is on the phone line with Dr. Kevin Most. Hi, you're on WGN. Hey, uh, hey, doctor. Um, my question is, um, my 72-year-old sister has Sjogren's syndrome. Is she at increased risk from the virus? Yes, absolutely. So um, Sjogren's a you know, protein disorder here, certainly because of a potential immunocompromised state. Sometimes they take steroids, which can decrease your, your immuno uh, status, um, as well as some of the other medications that they take. So certainly she would be at slight increased risk due to her immunocompromised state due to the disease. Oh, oh thank you. And thank you for the call. Uh, here is the 847 area code uh, texting in. Has dementia diagnosis uh, percentage risen over the last two years? I'm wondering the correlation of dementia onset with the COVID vaccine. It does seem like we're hearing about people uh, getting dementia more and more often. Bruce Willis just this week, uh, you know, uh, his family announcing that he now has uh, full-fledged dementia. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing I didn't like about the question is it linked it to the COVID vaccine. Right. And I certainly do not think that there's any linkage there whatsoever. Well, most of the individuals who are now being diagnosed with dementia were well into early dementia, well before COVID ever started. So certainly we know the COVID vaccine protects some of this from getting the virus from getting into the brain. So if anything, it would slow that down. I think there's more awareness of it, Dean, and I think there's more acceptance of it. You know, it used to be don't talk about it. You know, now we're openly talking about we're talking about research. We're talking about future potential medications. So we're hearing more and more about it. And I think that just is raising the awareness so that we feel more people may be getting coming down with uh, alzheimer's yeah we'll uh, talk more about that in the coming weeks kev we hope you have a great sunday today as always we appreciate you joining us thank you you got it dean we'll talk soon thanks it's dr kevin most uh, chief medical officer northwestern's central dupage hospital